Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also so pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And we are welcoming a, a wonderful guest. Please welcome Reserve Captain John Messina, who's been a Reserve Deputy Sheriff with the Orange County Sheriff. Sheriff's Department for 14 years. He's also an attorney, and we're just thrilled to have you join us. Thanks so much for coming on, John. Hi, Mari. Tell us, why is it that you became a Sheriff Reserve? I have admired law enforcement officers ever since I was a small child, and I saw them as society's heroes, you know, the ones who came to the rescue in times of crisis. Growing up in a home where honesty, integrity, and hard work was the norm, Becoming a law enforcement officer seemed an obvious uh, career choice, but that wasn't to be. While enjoying a very satisfying career as an attorney, I still yearn for the challenges one faces as a peace officer, coming to the aid of persons in need, assisting with preventing crimes that hurt people and disrupt their peace and security, comforting the lost child and reuniting them with their uh, parents, Uh, trying to protect the good from the bad, and becoming a better person every day for having tried. I derive a great deal of satisfaction from being part of an immediate solution to a serious problem, and I love working closely with like-minded individuals whom I admire and respect. Becoming a Reserve Deputy Sheriff offers me an opportunity to serve my community, work for the betterment of others, and enjoy the mental and physical stimulation of ever-changing events. Becoming a Reserve is challenging, Not everyone makes the cut, but the rewards are immense, and nothing that offers so much comes without hard work and a certain barrier to entry. I know many of you like-minded individuals are ready to make and take a more active role in your community. Why don't you join me at the Orange County Sheriff's Department? Be a reserve. Terrific, and they can find out more about becoming a sheriff reserve at ocsd.org. So thank you, John. We're going to have you back again to talk more about what a sheriff reserve does. So thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mari. and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed being in this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. 
You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, you know we've been hearing all the time about the upcoming election and all the candidates. And I've been reading this book called A Voter's Handbook by Judge James Gray, who is retired. It's called A Voter's Handbook, Effective Solutions to America's Problems. And I remember back in 2012, he ran as the... Uh, for vice president under the Libertarian uh, Party. And I have always respected all the great ideas and solutions that he suggested. So I thought this is an apropos time to really talk about some of these things. So let me tell you a little bit about Judge James Gray. He's been on our show before. A couple of years ago, talking about the drug issues and, and the legalization of marijuana and why it might be a good idea. But let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to talk about a lot of great issues. Judge F. James F. Gray is a retired trial court judge of the Orange County Superior Court. He's also a former federal prosecutor from Los Angeles. He was a criminal defense attorney in the U.S. Navy JAG Corps, and he was in the Peace Corps as a volunteer in beautiful Costa Rica. He has received a number of prestigious awards and honorary degrees, and he presently works as a private mediator and arbitrator in Irvine, California with ADR Services. He is the author of several books, uh, the, one of them was Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, A Judicial Indictment of the War on Drugs by Temple University Press. That was back in 2001. Another book that we talked about recently was Wearing the Robe, The Art and Responsibilities of Judging in Today's Courts. And then this book, which I really enjoy, called The Voter's Handbook, uh, Effective Solutions to America's Problems. And um, he has also, by the way, even written a musical called America All, Americans All. And as I had said before, he was the libertarian candidate for uh, vice president of the United States back in 2012. And you can find out more about him and his newsletter, which we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, at his website at Judge Jim Gray, that's G-R-A-Y, dot com. Judge Gray, thank you so much for joining us again. It's wonderful to have you. Well, Mary, it's very nice to be with you and share good thoughts with good people. So and I've been looking forward to it. Great. So, first of all, you know, as, as everybody knows, we've, <laughs> we've been talking about what's going on in this country with elections coming up, and I've really enjoyed your, your voter's handbook. Um, and let's talk a little bit, because you say that our government system is broken. You want to talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, certainly. I, I'm really concerned about where our country is going. I'm optimistic innately. But uh, what I have seen in the last two administrations, uh, the economics, our military adventurism, uh, just, just our whole sense of, as Bob Dylan used to say, uh, are we busy being born or busy dying? Right. We can't do both. I, I think that the, the governments in so many ways are so irresponsible that they are really causing deep problems for our children 
and literally I think our grandchildren are bankrupt. So we need to go back to what works, and that is responsibility at all levels of society, certainly individual, but also companies and corporations and government. And they are spending money they do not have, and it is putting our future at risk. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. I know that you write a newsletter as well. So tell us a little bit about it and how those of us who are interested can really uh, subscribe to that newsletter. Well, sure. You know, it's called Two Paragraphs for Liberty, and I send it out on my email uh, every, t- every week, every Monday. And it just discusses the soul of our country. The, the very soul is our freedoms and our liberties, and our soul today is under attack in so many ways, mostly by our very own government. And I just draw a contrast about how various things would work with liberty and freedom and individual choice as opposed to government, bureaucracy, regulations, and smothering. So, yes, they can find them. It's called Two Paragraphs for Liberty on my website. You are nice to uh, set it forth at judgejimgray.com. And uh, I will send you my emails. Uh, I actually, and I know you didn't want me to do this, but I'll <laughs> give my email anyway. It's Jim P. Gray. Jim is in James. P. is in Papa. Gray, G-R-A-Y, at sbcglobal.net. You send me an email, and I will uh, put you on my list and send out Two Paragraphs for Liberty. I think you'll be interested, and if you are... Spread the word to your social media friends, and we can show again how we can take back our country. That's it's so important. I know just recently on September 29th, you filed a lawsuit against the Commission on the Presidential Debate. And um, the Republican National Party and the Democratic National Party to require them to invite the candidates from all serious political parties to participate. I've always wondered why we don't have that. I mean, we've got 11 guys that's been standing up with one woman, uh, standing up for the Republicans. And I I don't understand why we don't have the Libertarian Party uh, get that same opportunity or whatever party is is you know, got some some following. So tell us a little bit about There's that. There's a history about this, uh, actually, Mari, that it used to be the League of Women Voters was in charge of the national presidential debates. And those, by the way, were after the various parties have chosen their candidates. So it would be just like, like in 2012, it was only President Obama as the Democrat and only Governor Romney as the Republican. They did not allow or invite the libertarian candidate, the green candidate, uh, etc., because they literally control the commission. Uh, it is made up of three commissioners from the Republican Party, three commissioners from the Democratic Party, and then coincidentally, they only invite Republicans and Democrats to be involved in that debate. Had we been involved in that debate, uh, we would have required the other candidates to discuss issues they just did not want to and did not discuss. Uh, yes, this failed war on drugs, uh, the the Obamacare, uh, they, they, it wasn't working, and they did. Romney was the architect of Obamacare. He didn't want to talk about it, and President Obama didn't either. We would have required it. The military adventurism, the fact that our schools are failing our children in so many communities, etc., etc. So we have brought a lawsuit. We filed it on Tuesday, the uh, 29th of September, and in Washington, D.C., against the Commission on Presidential Debates and the Republican and Democratic National Committees to require them to go back to the criterion that the League of Women Voters had, which was any political party that is serious, namely they would be on enough ballots in enough states 
technically to win the presidency, should have a seat at the table, should have their views discussed. In 2012, we were on the ballot in 48 states, the Green Party in 40 states. We should have qualified. No other parties would. So you're not talking about flooding the whole thing with, Mari, you and I can start a party and then we'll have a presidential debate. Right, That's right. not going to happen. Right. But this is probably the most exciting thing I've ever been involved with. This will work because the League of Women Voters was frozen out, like I said, and when they left, and they're a pretty reputable group, oh, yes. they said this is a fraud on the American public. We are not going to be involved in the hoodwinking of America. And that's what's gone on since they left in 1988. It's really exciting stuff. And who will win? The people will. The voters will have more information and can make their choices more intelligently. Who will lose? The two main political parties that have a monopoly or actually a duopoly on this commission and on these debates. And it's simply not what America stands for. This is big-time stuff, and I'm excited to be a small part of it. And I'm, I'm very excited as well because I think that makes so much sense to me. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that are really important to you and things you've been concerned about. Um, for example, you've been very concerned about uh, the the gangs and poverty that we see in our country. Wh- what are your thoughts about that? You know something, that's such a, a huge question. Uh, poverty, of course, jobs are really the thing for people to be able to hold their head ups, make progress, hope for the future, etc. Uh, the war on drugs, if you're talking about gangs, uh, gangs use the sale of illicit drugs as a recruiting tool. Uh, most of the drugs are involved in, in at the lower levels are having juvenile gangs, street gangs, be involved with it. And they, they tell young people in, in the inner cities and everywhere else, hey, you want to make some money? You'll never make nearly as much money on anything you do as you can by selling drugs. Join our gang, be a part of the action. Now, I was on juvenile court for several years, and you'd just see this. It would just be a hideous, hideous thing to see because we're leading our youth astray. Otherwise, as far as poverty is concerned, you also need to look at the schools. So many areas, our communities have failing schools. And we have to make a decision because this is one of the most important things that we can do in addition to jobs and reducing incarceration levels for, for people. But, and that is decide what is the purpose for our school system. And the answer is either to educate our children or, number two, it's to protect below-average teachers. And unfortunately, we've gotten into the second category today. So how can we bring into a situation to have excellence in our schools? And the answer is ask yourself the question, who is in a better position to decide where and how your child should be educated, you as the parent or the government? And I've never had anyone answer that question otherwise as saying the parents are in a better position. Okay, so that if you were to allow or empower the parents to choose where their government money would be spent for the education of their children, they would demand excellence. And you know what? They would receive it. I was in Milwaukee during the 2012 election campaign and was going through this and saying how, how important it was to have the parents be able to choose where their government money would be spent. And people were kind of wagging their fingers at me saying, well, Judge Gray, wait a minute, we're in Milwaukee. We have school choice and we have for five years. We don't have any bad schools anymore. The bad schools have either gotten better or they've gone out of business because the parents would take their children away from non-performing schools. And you know what? 
if the parents are waving a piece of paper, you can call it a voucher or a scholarship or a coupon. I don't care what you call it, but that ha it represents a certain amount of money. And if you have a lot of people in their community waving that piece of paper, some people that are entrepreneurs will come into that community and put in good schools. And it doesn't matter. They can be public schools. They can be private schools, parochial schools, military schools, religious schools, uh, you know, whatever it would be. They will demand excellence, and they will receive it. It's the best thing we can do for people that are in lower economic areas, and I'm excited about spreading that word across the country. So if I hear you right, the voucher would be the same amount for everyone. Yes. So well, whether you're from almost. a wealthy family. And we can refine it. If you yeah. have special needs, you'd probably have more money. Uh, if you are in high school, now you're getting into labs and things like that. There would probably be more money for somebody in the 11th grade than there would in the 5th grade. Maybe people in cities would have more. Than, I don't know. We can work these things out. But by and large, uh, the answer would be yes. Yeah, so it wouldn't be on because you're from a wealthier family, you, you would be able to do more. Absolutely than and categorically not. Right. So I think that's what's really important. Of course, parents right now, if they decide that they want to put their children in a private school and take them out of the public schools, they can put them in private school and they can pay for it themselves. So that's, you know, that... Well, that, they can and do. Right. But, you know, and, and, okay, here's a secret. The wealthy will always have more money to spend than the poor. Right. However, I tell you that it's working in Milwaukee, it's working in Florida, it's working in New Orleans. Uh, it will be enough that it will generate good quality education. And by the way, you know, as you would see this, good teachers will thrive. They'll be in demand. They'll be receiving more money. If I have a good teacher in my school, and Mara, you know you are entrepreneur that you are, you'd see that I'm not paying her enough. You'd lure her away to your school. Right. Good teachers will thrive, and the poor teachers will probably have to find a different wet line of work, which does not bother me whatsoever. Right. And then, th like you said, those people who are really good will get paid. Will get they'll, they'll get paid for being good teachers. And, you know, I started out, I was a high school teacher, English and Spanish and ESL for 14 years before I went back to law school. So I, I know what it's like to um, to be in a school and not have tenure because every, every three years that we had to move. <laughs> so every time it was a chance to get tenure, I didn't, I wasn't, I had to leave. So I know I had to be good. And um, so that whole tenure thing is a little weird <laughs> in my well, view. Teaching is a gratifying thing to be involved with, and it should be very highly placed in our society and paid accordingly. Right. You, you'll take the shackles off. You won't have to teach for the test. You'll actually be able to be involved in education instead of rote learning. Uh, that The parents will absolutely ensure that uh, we have good schools. And even if there are some parents that just aren't into it or don't care that much, you know, their children are going to be playing with other people's children whose parents do care. And when Mary and Johnny, my playmates, go to a different school, I'm, Mommy, I want to go to that school too. So it will have a coattail effect. This system will work. You give me five years and we will not have any bad schools in areas in which this system is now employed. I'm excited about this and it's about time. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about drug policy reform. You talked a little bit about it just a few minutes ago about the gangs and selling, but I, I think, you know, you were out there before about um, making a certain drugs, you know, legal, that we could yes. tax those. So let's talk a little bit about that because we've seen some changes like in Colorado where marijuana is legal. We, we do have medical marijuana laws. So what are your thoughts about that? Sure. Well, in the first place, 
the biggest oxymoron we have in our world today is the term controlled substances. Why? Because as soon as you prohibit a substance, you give up all of your controls to the bad guys. You know, anything dealing with quality control, which is a huge issue. And be careful of any of the illicit drugs you put into your bodies now, because uh, who knows what's going to be in them. Uh, purity, as I say, a place of sale, age restriction. I mean, people selling marijuana or anything else, their least worry is to sell it to somebody that's underage. Uh, it's a lot easier for our young people to get marijuana or worse if they want to than it is alcohol. If you look at it today, you do not see high school children selling Jim Beam bourbon to each other right. in high school campuses. <laughs> right. You could, but there's no money in it. But they're sending, selling methamphetamines, marijuana, cocaine all the time because they're illegal. I'm going to quarrel with your terminology a little bit. I wouldn't legalize any drugs. If you're going to talk a legalized drug, think aspirin. You know, there's no age restrictions on it. There's no mm -hmm. advertising restrictions, uh, special licenses. Your 12-year-old daughter could buy a case if she wanted to. That's not what I want to have happen with regard to any of these drugs. Okay. Certainly marijuana, we will, I'm here to tell you, have an initiative on the ballot in 2012 in November here in California, and it's going to pass if we do our job anywhere near right. But one of the arguments, of course, is, look, the largest cash crop today in California is marijuana. Well, that implies to me somebody's using it, okay? Right, so right. if it's here anyway and it's being used, let's take away a whole lot of money for some really bad people, Mexican drug cartels, right. juvenile street gangs. Uh, the Hell's Angels sell a lot of methamphetamines, you know. Let's take away that money and use it to pay our teachers, our firefighters, and fix our roads. I mean, that's one thing we can do. In addition, when I was on the bench, and this is one thing that just encouraged me so strongly to have my press conference back in 1992 now. It's, what, 23 years ago. Hard uh, to believe. Saying <laughs> our nation's drug policy is not working. But I sentenced at four different occasions young men for being under the influence of methamphetamines. And in California, we appropriately have what we call a factual basis, which means the defendants have to put in their own words to us in open court why they're guilty of defense before they plead guilty. We have a sentence in California under Health and Safety Code 11550 that requires anyone under the influence of a narcotic that's convicted go to jail a minimum of 90 days. I wasn't going to give them any more. I couldn't give them any less. All of this is by reason of saying they had no reason to lie to me. Your Honor, my drug of choice is marijuana, and I would buy my marijuana from the same supplier regularly until one fine day he sold me some marijuana laced with methamphetamines. I didn't know it. I smoked it a few times, and I got hooked. And I still remember thinking, my goodness, we all know smoking cigarettes is harmful for your health, but at least when you go to your local mini-mart and buy a pack of Marlboros, you're going to know it's not laced with methamphetamines. That is a drug prohibition problem. Other drug prohibition problems, of course, yes, the drugs can be dangerous, and we need to reduce that danger by knowing what you're putting into your body and have regulation and controls, but the drug money is so much more corrupting and harmful even than the drugs themselves. So let's get control of that issue, and like they are in Colorado, where they haven't legalized them either. They're strictly regulated and controlled. Well, like, like alcohol. alcohol. Kind of like cigarettes. That's yeah. where we should go. And with regard to the stronger drugs, Let's let each state decide how best to approach this area. If I were king of California, and King James kind of has a ring to it, but it hasn't caught on yet, <laughs> I somehow don't think it will, but I would in California allow people that are using heroin, for example, to get 
closer to their medical professionals, get a prescription for heroin like they have been in Switzerland since the late 1990s, use the heroin under controlled circumstances, and they're pretty much able to lead normal lives. And none of these drugs is expensive, Mari. The only reason they're expensive is because they're illegal. So in Switzerland, even the heaviest using heroin user is maybe a maximum of $10 a day controls that habit. So anybody can afford that. Yes, if they can't afford that, it's subsidized. But look, if somebody makes a real mistake and gets hooked into these various illegal drugs, why should I suffer? Why should I have to put bars on my windows, etc.? Which brings me to the final right, but, but we gotta go. issue that we <laughs> need to we're... talk about. And that is the criminal justice system is really good at holding people accountable for what they do, but not what they put into their bodies. And so it makes as much sense to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem, and he'll always have that craving. He's going to have to be careful. He's doing pretty well now. But it makes as much sense to do that as it would have put Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It's the same thing. It's a medical issue. Let them deal with medical professionals. But if they drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, marijuana, methamphetamines, alcohol, which is my drug of choice, hold them accountable for what they do. That's where we need to go instead of this insane issue of war on drugs, which puts us into problems like you can't believe. Okay, well, we are out of time. So please go to www.judgejimgray.com and this wonderful book, A Voter's Handbook, Effective Solutions to America's Problems. Thank you so much, Judge Gray. We will talk to you again soon. Look forward to it. Good luck to us all. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the Orange County Sheriff's news and safety tips, and we are welcoming back John Messina. He is a captain with the Orange County Sheriff's Department Reserve Division, and he's been with the Orange County Sheriff's Department for over 14 years. He's also a fellow attorney and a wonderful guy, and we're so thrilled to have you back, John. Good. Thank you very much, Mari. So let's talk, we talked before about all the exciting things that you've been able to do as being a sheriff reserve, and now let's talk about with all the other police agencies out there, why would someone want to become a reserve deputy with the Orange County Sheriff's Department? Well, Mari, if you have an interest in law enforcement and making a positive contribution to your community, you should seriously consider becoming a reserve deputy sheriff with the Orange County Sheriff's Department, OCSD. The OCSD is one of this nation's premier law enforcement agencies, and the standards set to become an OCSD deputy sheriff are amongst the highest in the land. 
the respect garnered for our deputies by citizens and personnel with other law enforcement agencies is a testament to the caliber of individuals selected to serve. The OC Sheriff's Department provides law enforcement to the unincorporated areas of Orange County, 13 contract cities, the Orange County Transportation Authority, John Wayne Airport, and 42 miles of California coastline. The vast range of opportunities at the reserve with the OCSD cannot be matched by most law enforcement agencies anywhere in the United States, and there is no better place to volunteer your time as a reserve. For a healthier, challenging, more personally enriched life, serving as an OCSD reserve deputy sheriff can be exactly what the doctor ordered, and there cannot be enough said for an opportunity to work side-by-side with law enforcement's elite. Become part of the OCSD family. Be a reserve. It's a great opportunity. And for people who are listening that are interested, they can go to ocsd.org and look up on the reserve division and what you have to do. And it's a very exciting opportunity for all of you. And thank you so much for joining us, John. Thank you very much, Maury. Talk to you soon. 